Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Hey, Dr. Carl Alexander is a sociologist at Johns Hopkins University, author of a brand new book called The Long Shadow, Family Background, Disadvantaged Urban Youth, and the Transition to Adulthood. I am so excited to hear about his research where roughly 800 Baltimore children were evaluated, monitored, watched, researched for about 30 years, from first grade all the way until they turn 28 or 29 years old, and wait until you hear some of the conclusions that flow from his work. Dr. Alexander, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I have to uh, believe this would represent your life's work. I mean, a 33-decade, 30-year investment of your time. Well, it's a, it's a goodly portion of it. I actually had uh, 10 years under my belt before we launched this project. Uh, and at this point, I guess I'm guess getting pretty old in the tooth, but it was a, it was substantially my life's work. You know, was, was, it intended, was it intended at the outset to be a project of this duration? 
Um, no, anything but, in fact. It's interesting. I'm glad you asked. It was originally intended to be two years in the field. We were particularly interested in, it's called the Beginning School Study Youth Panel, is the group that we monitored over 25 years. And we were particularly interested in understanding how children manage the transition into first grade. We call it the transition from home child to school child. And, um, you know, the obvious concern is that some children uh, stumble along the way early on and, and, and others uh, have a successful uh, entry in the first grade. And we were interested in trying to watch carefully that experience for Baltimore school children in, the, in Baltimore's public schools. And then to look in second, at second grade to see what the, um, the consequences were. Uh, but once we got into it, we realized that we had, uh, how should I say, essentially done all the heavy lifting of putting the project in place. And we thought it would be uh, perhaps informative if we could keep it going for a little while longer. And a little while turned into 25 years. Yeah, we ended uh, in when the, when the study participants, most of them were age 28. So we actually watched on very carefully over the years how they um, moved progressed through the educational system and then for a decade or so after high school, starting at six years old and continuing through age 28. Generally speaking, what was their attitude relative to being involved, being monitored, staying in touch with you and your associates? Well, it's, uh, I feel like um, you know, we were a presence in their lives since they, as far back as they could remember, most of them at age six, and you know, we had to get parental consent to, for them to participate in the project. Um, about half of the study participants we classify as, as from low-income families or the urban disadvantaged in the title of the book. And um, I think along the way, as they got older, that many of them looked forward to our occasional checking in with them. Uh, we were interested in, in hearing their story and, and, and understanding what was happening to them, and, and many of them sadly didn't have others in their lives who, who, who showed that kind of interest in them. And, and also we did little things to try to... Um, you make them feel appreciated. We send out birthday cards every year, yeah, all the way through the end of the project. And uh, and, and I think for many, we, we, we were, quite surprisingly, we were welcome presents. You know, a lot of survey research is just one and done, um, but we were anything anything but that. We, we stayed at it over the long haul. What, what would the, what would the, and I, I don't know if monitoring is the proper word I should be using, but those check-ins, what would they consist of and how often would you carry them out? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, we did one-on-one -on -one interviews with the study participants, participants themselves, probably uh, uh, 20 of them from first grade through high school and then two in the years after high school. We also talked to their parents almost every year through 10th grade and their teachers through 9th grade, and we had access to school system records. We had really splendid cooperation, so we had report card marks and achievement test scores and things of that sort. It was very intensive. And, and the interviews, of course, when they were little, you know, as first graders, you couldn't challenge them too severely. So those were maybe five, ten minutes long, uh, but very useful. And then as, as they grew up, uh, our questioning expanded. And by the time they were out of high school, we were asking just about everything you could imagine. Uh, their, where they were in terms of their post-secondary education, their workplace experience, their family life, and um, even what we call you know, problem behaviors, uh, you know, drug use, uh, uh, binge drinking, uh, arrests and convictions, uh, those sorts of things. Was they, were, the they seem to be remarkably candid. I mean, these, these young people, by and large, really did open up to us. It was really well, it, it sounds like you, you build up credibility with them that made them comfortable in coming back uh, and I offering you information. 
I absolutely believe we did, and and um, and it was genuine uh, and re- and mutual. I mean, they they let us into their lives, and and we never took that for granted. We really did respect their their individuality and also and also their privacy is an important consideration. The title of the book is "The Long Shadow: Family Background, Disadvantaged Urban Youth, and the Transition to Adulthoods." Adulthood were were they all disadvantaged youth? No, in fact, and that, that's one of the things that is important to the purposes of the book. Um, we drew, this is really very un- uncommon for a, a local case study, single city case study. Uh, we started out with a representative sample of children who began first grade in 20 Baltimore City schools uh, in the fall of 1982. Representative random sample. We actually, it's effectively, we drew their names from uh, kindergarten rosters in the previous year so we could be ready to get hit the ground running in the fall of first grade. So the the study participants really do represent or reflect the um, the profile of children in Baltimore City uh, throughout. So the, the panel was uh, disproportionately African-American and low income. That's what the Baltimore City system was at the time. But we also had a fourth of the families we classify as middle class or, or more advantaged. And um, and there was a sizable presence of, of white children in the city's system also. Uh, of those we classify as urban disadvantaged, about half half of the total panel, 40% of those are white. And the whites are everybody as disadvantaged uh, economically and socially as the African-Americans. Uh, the typical urban disadvantaged parent in our group was a high school dropout. And the educational average level of, edu- of schooling for the white parents is actually a bit lower than for the African-American, about 10.4 years versus 11.1. Dr. Alexander, so, I, I, yeah. I read it. I'm um, pardon my interruption. I, I read an That's interview. Okay. I, re- I want to talk about some of the findings of your work now, having sort of set the table of how you went about this. I read an interview with you where you summed up and said, the implication is where you start in life is where you end up in life. What do you mean by that? Well, there uh, there are exceptions. Uh, there are exceptions to every rule, but the rule here is a quite powerful one. Yeah, the the imagery of the long shadow in the book's title is intended to convey the idea that circumstances of family life uh, growing up uh, are a powerful force in children's development and a, and a continuing force all the way through into young adulthood. And what we find is that children who who are born into lower income or urban disadvantaged families. Uh, themselves uh, are highly likely to remain disadvantaged as young adults. Not all, um, but most. And, uh, and the pattern and, and upward mobility, which is what we would want for many of our children, young children who, who, who start life poor, uh, the prospects for achieving upward mobility through the educational system uh, uh, seem were quite remote for, for, for this, this group. When we talked to them at age 28, only uh, 4% of those, uh, the half of the panel that we classify as urban disadvantaged, only 4% of those youngsters had a bachelor's degree, as against 45% of children whose parents were middle class at the, at the outset. And, we're not, and by middle class, it means it's better off, because these are families in Baltimore's public schools, so we're not talking about extremely wealthy families. So that's, that's a tenfold difference in baccalaureate degree completion, 45% to 4%. And additionally, hardly any of these these young people had completed the two-year Associate of Arts degree. So um, using the educational system as the vehicle for upward mobility it hasn't worked very well for, for these youngsters. And it's not for one of trying. Uh, 
30% started college, but only about 5% finished. So there are challenges all along the way. Another of your findings that I'm familiar with is that the lack of a college, actually, I should say it this way, that you saw differences between the fate of African-American high school dropouts versus white high school dropouts, that the white high school dropouts were far more likely to nevertheless become employed. Did I say that accurately? Well, uh, almost. It's it's actually not not easy to get it exactly right. Um, Yeah, so... Middle-class families were the children of middle-class families were privileged in school. That is, they were most successful. Uh, The white men of working-class background were most successful in the workplace without the benefit of a college degree. And in fact, white men of working-class background, in the comparisons we made, had the lowest percentage of college completion, not the highest. And yet, uh, they found their way into into employment opportunities uh, that were, you know quite lucrative by the standards of the non-college labor market. And, and in a surprising place, I think that's one of the things that was most striking about uh, these results. 45% of white men of working-class background as young adults were employed in the high-skill, high-craft, uh, high-skill, high-wage, industrial and construction crafts, things like plumbers, electricians, uh, welders, auto mechanics, 45% in, in deindustrialized Baltimore. Uh, that was really quite striking when we saw it. Fifteen uh, percent of African American men of like background were working in that sector of, econ- of the economy, and the white men, their earnings were twice the earnings of the African American men. And so uh, this is really quite striking, and, and, it, and it obliged us to kind of try to understand it and probe it in considerable detail, which uh, which is a, which is a theme that really is very prominent in the book. If I were if I were an elected official or a, a public policy uh, advocate expert, someone who were in a position to affect change, I think that's how I'll ask the question. What would you be whispering in my ear? What is the solution? What is it that we need to do based on your 30 years of research of nearly 800 Baltimore City children? Well, there's no easy solution to the, what are really large and, and deeply entrenched, entrenched problems. Uh, really, we, we, we have, in the book, we see two, what, I, what we're, we're calling success narratives, uh, one through school and one in the workplace without the benefit of college. And in both instances, it's, it comes down to a, a matter of, of parents doing what they can to help their children. Middle-class parents have lots of resources to help their children do well in school. White working-class parents have resources to help their children access good employment in the non-college labor market, mainly through social networks. And who you know uh, counts for a lot. And so I think uh, you can't fault parents for doing what they, what, all that they can to help their kids. My goodness, that's what we, we would all want our children to be successful. And so if there's a solution, it isn't to take away the, the, the advantages that middle-class parents have in school or white working-class parents have in the workplace. The approach should be to to try to open doors to those who presently uh, don't have access to those opportunities and resources by you know, focusing uh, policies and interventions on, on disadvantaged children to build up their, help build up their academic skills, uh, foc- and I would say focused on the early years especially, but also for, the, for those who aren't likely to go on to college and don't have access to you know, the kind of employment opportunities that, that white men of working class background do in, 
in Baltimore uh, to provide stronger vocational training uh, all along the way, probably starting in high school, maybe even earlier. When we we talk to these young people in high school and ask them about their summer jobs and part-time employment after school, a fifth of white white men of working-class background were had jobs in the in, in the industrial and, and construction crafts. Now, they weren't plumbers and electricians and welders, but they were helping out. They were helping out their their fathers, their uncles, their neighbors, uh, and, and the like. And that was building a strong foundation for what would come later. Not a single African American man of the like background, or I guess you'd say teenager of of like background at that age, was had a part time or summer job in that sector of the economy. It really is quite striking. I mean, when, when we talked to them at age 22 and asked them where they found their current job, uh, the whites were much more likely to say through family and friends, and African Americans much more likely to say on their own. And, and, and indeed, when we looked at their work experience, uh, focusing in on the those who hadn't finished high school, which is a very high percentage of these these youngsters, and those who had uh, taken a misstep along the way, in the sense that they had a criminal. Uh, had been arrested or, or had a conviction, criminal conviction. Uh, those are much greater impediments. That is, not having a high school degree and having a record were much greater impe- impediments to the employment prospects of African Americans than to the employment prospects of whites. In other words, if I'm if I'm a white guy with a rap sheet, I still stand a better chance of getting a job than an African American with a similar background. Absolutely. Uh, partly through family context, but also partly, and we know from the wider literature, this isn't in our study, but that employers in the non-college labor market often harbor misgivings or doubts about the work ethic and honesty of African-American, young African-American men in particular, and are much more likely to ask about a criminal record of African-American job applicants than whites. So there are informal mechanisms that uh, are historically grounded, but you know, still very much prevalent today that that create barriers for minority youth who are trying to get themselves established but face daunting obstacles along the way. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Sherwin-Williams during the March Spring Sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Dr. Alexander, the, the title of the book, The Long Shadow, and you explain that where you start in life often accounts for where you end up in life. Consequently, I hear you saying if you grew up under the long shadow, that's going to be a detriment that, that you'll have difficulty overcoming. I'm struggling to ask you the question that's at the tip of my tongue, but here, here's my attempt. Okay. What then What then accounts for, what are the attributes of those who begin under the long shadow? What are those uh, characteristics that they have that define being under the shadow to begin with? Is it education or lack thereof? Is it lack of a familial structure? Is it a combination of the two and something else? Well, you know, we... we... The way we classify, classify families, we, 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 we use the kind of material conditions of family life. So we, we classify um, the, uh, families as being urban disadvantaged, urban being the Baltimore context, in terms of low levels of parental education, um, an erratic uh, work history, uh, and, and when employed at, at kind of low-level low occupations or jobs. And uh, low levels of family income, and if you put all those things together, you have half of the half of the study participants uh, fall into the lower reaches. And uh, but there also are family structure issues that are overlaid on on low income or family poverty. So um, many of the, many of these families uh, were relied were single had a, headed by a single parent, typically the a, a mother, and. Um, and challenged uh, financially uh, because of that as well. Although I must say, you know, it's exceedingly difficult to parse things out that, that 
tend to go kind of hand in hand in, their, in, the, in the real world. So uh, there's a lot of concern and, and, and very good concern uh, about the, um, the, the implications of, of, uh, of growing up in a single-parent household for children, children's development and, and, and well-being. But it's very hard to isolate the, import, the influence of single parenting against the, uh, the influence of, uh, of low levels of formal schooling, because many single parents uh, didn't, weren't particularly successful in school, and low levels of family income, because they tend to be poor. It's a feminization of poverty. It's a, a concept that's, uh, that's well understood. So um, our sense of it is, as best we can tell, is that what's what's most at play here are are the material the, the material disadvantages of family life rather than the um, the health family structure and household composition. But I have to say it's very hard to to tease those things apart because so often they just go hand in hand. I recognize it's a complicated subject, and I, I think you've done a terrific job in twenty minutes of of offering an overview. Is there any other takeaway that Doctor? Carl Alexander wants to leave us with pertaining to your new book, The Long Shadow, Family Background, Disadvantaged Urban Youth, and the Transition to Adulthood? Well, if I could take another minute, yeah, because I think it's, it's really an important thing to appreciate. Yeah, Many young people who grow up in, in difficult circumstances in places like Baltimore do stumble along the way. Uh, we asked uh, these, these, uh, these folks that we work with about things like drug use and binge drinking and arresting convictions. It's really quite something. The highest levels of self-reported binge drinking, marijuana use, and heavy drug use uh, was for, came, were the highest levels, percentages, and all those things were reported by uh, white men of middle-class background. Uh, and but they rarely got in trouble because of those things. They were often doing them in the college, you know, in a college environment, and they had parents who could help shield them. The second highest percentages, binge drinking, marijuana use, and heavy drug use, was reported by white men of working class background. Yeah, but people often have the image of African American, young African Americans, men in particular, in, in big cities, as just being the, the face of urban disadvantage. But that's partly the case. There really is a Urban disadvantage comes in all colors and all shades. Uh, but what we find is that most most of these young people who who stumble along the way, they straighten themselves out. You know, very few of them become career criminals. But there is a legacy or a history of what happened during your teenage years and early adulthood. And African Americans appear to have the greater challenges, kind of overcoming the consequences of those behaviors. Um, so that's a, that's a concluding thought. That, that's fascinating. That I'm so glad you shared that. Dr. Yeah. Alexander, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate My your pleasure. work as well. Am I, am I right that you're retiring this summer? This is it? I retired as of July 1. <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm, I'm intruding on your retirement. Uh, I'm actually in, in, enjoying um, enjoying myself. Uh, it's a bit more relaxed, but I must say the, there's a lot of interest in this book, and that's keeping me busy. But that's did also you, very pleasing. Did, did you, by chance, videotape the interviewees? No, I'm sorry, that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, I could, I could, I could see a, a hell of a documentary based on. Yeah, this. it would have been. It would have been if only we could roll back the clock. But well, we, you know, we talked to them at length on many occasions, and. In addition to the standard kind of survey format, we, we also had available 120 tape-recorded and transcribed conversations. 
And in the book, we, we try to kind of spice up the book and not have it be just a dry statistical reporting of percentages of this and percentages of that by including little vignettes and, and quotes that really kind of draw out the experience in a, in a more vivid well, way. Well, I'm, I'm tweeting out information about the book. I, I, I hope that people will, will go out and get it and read and study more on this. I, I should mention that while I was listening to you speak, it popped into my head that I'd seen a movie a couple of years ago, I think it began with the title Seven Up. And yeah, it yeah. Do, do you know what I'm referring to? Oh yeah. It was it was from the UK and that's and they were follow yeah, and they were following help me with this. Were they following individuals who turned seven and then they came back when they were fourteen and came back when they were twenty one and it, followed it them through on, life? Yeah. It went on for many years. I can't yeah. I can't off the top tell you the entire span of it. But yeah, and it was riveting because they did they did the videotaping so you could see Right, yeah. but, but not with the same eye that you had. Yeah, it was real people. You know, yep. we, we, we have to work harder to convey that these are real people that we're talking about. Understood. Just, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carl Alexander. I appreciate making your acquaintance. My pleasure, and thank you for having me on. Carl Alexander just retired as a sociologist at Johns Hopkins. The book title, The Long Shadow, Family Background, Disadvantaged Urban Youth, and the Transition to Adulthood. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.